Last message in this series on living by faith in a sin-cursed world. We look at 1 Peter 1, uh, verses 3 through 5. Generally, life for everyone has challenges and difficulties. There's a lot of good stuff that happens, but generally for everyone, we experience all different things. We get sick. We get in a car accident. Your roof leaks. Um, you go through different issues. That just comes as a result of living in a sin-cursed world. Happens to everyone. But Christians have an additional trouble because they're Christians. They have a world that is hostile against them. A world that is hostile against them. Because every time they're around a Christian, they see you, they hear you, they're reminded about God. They're reminded about Jesus Christ. They're reminded about righteousness, that God expects them to live for Him. They're reminded of, a judge, of the judgment to come. So Christian, how should you live in light of what Peter talks about here? He describes what the readers were going through as a fiery trial. does that several different times in the book and in several, several different ways describe that. Well, you need to remember this. It's right at the top of your sheet that you live, you have a living hope from a living Savior. You need to remember that. And you need to always be controlled by who you are in Christ. That's where Peter begins in verses 3 through 5. That's why he says what he does here. You need to remember who you are in Jesus Christ, your salvation in Him. When, when you are controlled by that, who I am in Christ, what He's done for me, what He's provided for me, what my future is, what your future is in Him. When you are persecuted, when you're made fun of, when you're reviled, as Jesus talks about, you will respond how you should. That's the rest of 1 Peter. So he says, be holy as I am holy. He says, long for the pure milk of the word. He says, don't suffer for doing bad. Suffer because you're doing right. Husbands and wives need to fulfill their responsibilities. Pastors need to be godly pastors. Don't be a party animal. They're going to say you're nuts. Why are you doing this the same as we are? Don't lie. Don't envy. All those things that Peter says, and I hope you read 1 Peter this past week, all these things that Peter says, they are founded and based in verses 3 through 5 here in chapter 1. You're controlled by this. The top of your sheet, the main point to get particularly is you must always you must always praise the Lord that He saved you. You must always praise the Lord that He saved you. That's how Peter begins in verse 3. When he says, blessed, he is saying, praise the Lord. Give thanks to the Lord. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. Why should you always praise the Lord in every circumstance of life, even if you're being persecuted. Well, number one, he says you need to always praise the Lord because He gives new life. Look at verse 3. 
Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who, according to his abundant mercy, has begotten us again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. Why do unbelievers hate Christianity? I mean, don't you ever wonder that as a Christian? Don't they know how, what they're missing out on? Don't they see it? What, why, why do unbelievers hate Christianity? Why do unbelievers hate Christ? Why do unbelievers hate you as a Christian? Well, I'll tell you why from 1 Peter. Because they love sin. And they love evil. Because they love this life. Death to them is the end of everything. So live it up now. I mean, get as much as you can. Enjoy as much as you can. Create your bucket list so that you can do that before you die. Because once you're dead and you kick the bucket, you're done. You can't enjoy anything else. Unbelievers use their words for their own ends. And so they will lie. They'll cheat. They're never content with what they have. They love and are in darkness rather than the light. Peter talks about that. So does John. They love the darkness rather than the light because they're in the darkness. They want liberty, but they want it without law. Does that sound familiar? Our national anthem? They want liberty, but they don't want to be told what they can and should and must do. They will tell you what you should do so that they can hold their liberty, but it's all skewed. It's inverted. It's upside down. They're committed to vice and to evil. They want to get away with as much as possible. They want to do as little as possible. Have you ever had to work with that kind of a person? It's hard to get work done, isn't it? Why is that? Because they're unbelievers. They're focused on looks and appearance and apparel because this life is all that there is. They're haughty and bold in their sin and rebellion. They say, what's the big deal? What is the big deal? What's wrong with it? They entice, they flatter, they seduce. They put down, they humiliate, they give as they have been given. In other words, they'll take revenge. You did that to me, I'm going to do that to you. They love a good party. They want to live it up, get drunk. You can't get enough of a good thing. You see something that you want and you can take it, do it and get away with it. That's even better. doesn't cost you a thing. So when a Christian comes along, when you come along, and you are committed to the opposite of those things because you've been given new life. Because you love righteousness and holiness. And you come along with the exact opposite kind of lifestyle. Unbelievers hate that. Flip over to chapter 4. Chapter 4. Look at verse 4. Peter says, in the previous couple of verses, you need to stop living your life like an unbeliever. You need to live for the will of God. Um, look at verse 3. We have spent enough of our past lifetime in doing the will of the Gentiles of unbelievers when we walked in lewdness, lusts. And so we, when he says walked in, that means your life was characterized by that. Lewdness, lusts, drunkenness, revelries, drinking parties, and abominable idolatries. 
Look at this, verse 4. In regard to these, they think it strange that you do not run with them in the same flood of dissipation, speaking evil of you. What's wrong with you? Don't you know a good time when you see it? Everybody's doing it. You need to fit in. The whole thing of unbelieving life. They hate that. And when they see you, they're convicted. We witness with our mouths. We must tell the gospel. Without the word being given, people won't have the content that they need to be to, to believe. But we must also live a life consistent with the gospel, supporting the gospel. And when they see that, they see you living like Christ, they don't like that. They take it as an attack. I don't know if you've ever had that experience as a believer, but you're not doing anything other than just living, and they, they, they're convicted. Stop doing that. Why, why are you oppressing me? They'll lash out, they'll make fun, they'll make your life hard, they'll even say that you're bad for society and human life. Why do they do that? Why do they live this way? Because that's their nature. That's their disposition. That's their outlook on life. That's their direction. And Christian, you have a completely different outlook. A completely different nature. A completely different disposition because of this first point, the new birth. He has caused you to be born again. He has given you a righteous nature that lives out, that loves the Lord and wants to do right. Remember 2 Corinthians 5.17? If any man is in Christ, he is a new... Yeah. All old things are passed away. All things are new. The old, leave it there. You don't live like that, Christian. You put it to death. You kill it. You're putting on the new. And through the gospel message, the Lord saved you. We were lost, though, weren't we? We loved sin. So why did God cause you to be born again? Why did he? Wasn't anything good in you. The first point tells us why. Number one, why did God do this? Because he was motivated by his mercy. Your blank is motivated. He was moved or motivated by his mercy. Look again at verse 3 of chapter 1. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ who according to his abundant mercy. Human history in trying to please the gods, they have a giant recipe book. My mom gave us some, my brother and I, some uh, of our things that we had when we were little boys the last couple years. One of those was my first and only cookbook, the Mickey Mouse cookbook. And I wrote little recipes in there. Yes, I cooked. No, I didn't die. Um, how do you, what's the recipe for eternal life? according to an unbeliever. We'll do this and do that, and a little of this and a little of that. You boil it down though, that's not part of the recipe. You boil it down, it, it all comes to one basic thing. Works. What I do. That's what it comes down to. What's the recipe for God giving new life? 
What's the recipe for God's motivation in giving spiritual life to the spiritually dead? It is zero parts you and completely God. God, that's the recipe. God is the one. There was nothing in us that God looked at and said, yeah, I'm compelled by because of who you are or because of what you've done. No, it's entirely by God's mercy. The only thing that you could contribute to your salvation was sin. And that doesn't contribute, does it? The only thing that you deserved was what? God's wrath. Yeah. You didn't get what you deserved. And what is that? It's mercy. Compassion. Because God is love. So what must be your response to that, Christian? When you grasp even fuller, it's by God's mercy that I've been born again. Verse 3. Blessed be the God and Father of Lord Jesus Christ. Well, God was motivated by His mercy to give us new life, but how did He do that? He couldn't just ignore your sin. Give you what you didn't deserve. That's number two. Number two, He accomplished it by Christ's resurrection. He accomplished it by Christ's resurrection. The rest of verse 3. He's, by His abundant mercy, He's begotten us again to a living hope. Here it is. Through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. Jesus literally rose from the dead because He literally died. He died to pay the price of sin. And He rose to defeat sin. Remember these things. Why did Jesus die? To pay the price of sin. Why did He rise again? To break the power of sin. To defeat sin. They're both essential. If Jesus is still dead, He didn't pay the price of sin because He's still paying it. But He did pay it. He paid it in full. He accomplished it. His resurrection verifies that. Proves it. Demonstrates it. And by that defeated death and sin and it proves that He had victory over sin. Christ's resurrection nullifies the power of sin and death for the Christian. What moved God to give you new life, Christian? The mercy of God. How did He do that? Through the death and the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Because you've been born again, number two, you have a living hope. Verses 4 and 5. You have a living hope. Now, Several weeks ago, maybe it was a month or so ago, I can't remember, um, we thought that there was a shingles flying up here, and so some of the guys did their thing to fix that. I'm not going to say it because I don't want to say it wrong and get them in trouble. Um, but they did their thing to fix that, and we walked in here, and our anticipation, our hope was what? It's fixed. And we walk in, we start doing stuff, the rain comes down, and the floods came. Well, then the floods didn't come up, but boy, what do you call that hope? A drippy hope. A disappointing hope. Say, oh no, what are we going to do? Several, several of our men have rightly said it's better to find that out now than after we have all the drywall up, you know. 
Better to find that out now. The hope that you have in the Lord Jesus is way better than anything else in this life. This hope that you have, it is sure, it is living. Are you ready? It's concrete because it's in God who is immovable, who is life, who does what he always said, says he will do. And that's in contrast to the hopes of this world. This world's hopes are always empty. They're frustrating. They're deceptive. And they're false. Peter tells us what your hope is characterized by here. Three characteristics. Let's look first in the beginning of verse 4. An inheritance incorruptible, undefiled, that does not fade away. It's reserved in heaven for you. Number one is a perfect inheritance. It is incorruptible. It is undefiled. It does not pass away. It is incorruptible. That means it will never decay. It will never wear out. And we need that because how long will your soul live? Forever. It is incorruptible. Your hope will never wear out. I got some birthday money this year. Um, so I thought, well, I haven't bought a new pair of shoes for like five years. These brown shoes. It's time to get a new pair. I've glued them and stapled them so much. It's just time to get a new pair of shoes. And I bought these pair, this pair of shoes. I don't remember where I bought it. Somewhere in Mentor at a discount because, you know, got to save the money. What would you think if they said these are guaranteed never to wear out? Would you believe it? You better not believe about anything in this life. The hope that you have in Christ, it is incorruptible. It will never wear out. It is undefiled. That means there are no defects in it. There are no flaws. And we all buy things that we assume are without defect and without flaws that are perfect. In fact, you want that. If it's not right, you return it. But I hate to say this, it's made in what kind of a world? A sin-cursed world. And there's going to be a problem with it. There's going to be a problem with it. A third thing he says is it does not fade away. This is still under the fact that it is a perfect inheritance. It does not fade away. That means it's permanent. It's unchangeable. It'll never dim. It'll never grow old. It'll never wither. A couple of presidencies ago, they did away with the incandescent light bulb. They said we needed to go to, uh, I can't remember the one kind, and now we're on LED lights. You know, I buy these LED lights, and I'm just thrilled. These things, they'll say they're going to last for 80 years. And then I have an LED light bulb go out. What in the world? I'm disappointed. Christ's salvation, you... Because you're in Christ, that's what you need to see here. It's not merely your salvation. It's you. You will never pass away. One man described these three things. Uh, incorruptible, undefiled, and will not fade away. He described it as death-proof, sin-proof, 
and time proof. That's a good way to remember these. It is death proof. It's incorruptible. It is sin proof. It's undefiled. It is time proof. It will not fade away. This is your perfect inheritance. Then he says at the rest of verse 4, it's reserved in heaven for you. Number two, your inheritance is characterized as a present reservation. It is a present reservation. Who made the reservation? God did. In eternity past, he made this reservation in Jesus Christ. Where is it kept safe? What's the Bible say there? In heaven. No effect of sin can touch it. Christian, this emphasizes in the strongest words possible the security of your salvation. I can't get into the nitty-gritty of all the Greek in there, okay? But you cannot emphasize it any stronger. How secure your salvation is, not because of you, but because of what the infinite, all-powerful, almighty God did in Jesus Christ through the Spirit. And the work that he began, what's he going to do? He's going to bring it to completion. A third characteristic of this inheritance, it is a protected salvation. It is a protected salvation, verse 5. Protected. Who are kept by the power of God through faith for salvation, ready to be revealed in the last time. Again, Jesus' point in the text here is clear. It is kept by the power of the power of who? God. The infinite, all-powerful, all-knowing God. He's the one who protects you and your salvation. He guards you. He shields you. He says you are kept. Not an impersonal kind of thing. Verse 5. Who are kept? You are kept. Look at verses 1 and 2. I'm sorry, verse 2. Elect according to the foreknowledge of God the Father and sanctification of the Spirit for obedience and sprinkling of the blood of Jesus Christ. The triune God accomplished and keeps your salvation. God is the one doing this protecting, but He only does this for those who are trusting in Christ because He talks about through faith for salvation. Through faith for salvation, ready to be revealed in the last time. The salvation isn't a work in progress. You're kind of doing your thing and eventually you'll you know, fill up the thing. No, nope, God did it. You live it out. You live it out. Remember what we looked at last week from Habakkuk? Habakkuk chapter 2. Habakkuk saw the sinfulness of Judah. Lord, what's going on? God said, don't worry. I'm going to send the Babylonians to discipline them. What? No, you're too pure to look on what's evil. Chapter 2, God says, I am God, and the just shall live by faith. But the proud, his soul is not right in him. You have to continue living by faith. Not to get yourself saved, but because you're saved. You live by faith. And it continues until the day of redemption, revealed in the last time. 
God's power sustains you and keeps you and protects you until that day. This is an encouraging verse, Christian. As you're going through suffering because of your faith, who protects you? The eternal, triune, all-powerful God. Salvation is God's work from beginning to end. The bottom of your sheet there, I have kind of a doctrinal summary of this passage here with some blanks. God's salvation accomplished through Jesus. (coughs) God's salvation accomplished through Jesus and brought about, brought about by the Holy Spirit. God's salvation accomplished through Jesus and brought about by the Holy Spirit compels, C-O-M-P-E-L-S, compels, and enables, compels and enables suffering saints to joyfully persevere. To joyfully persevere. Peter doesn't start with commands. He'll get to those. He starts with praising God for salvation. Because of this salvation that the Lord Jesus accomplished, that the Holy Spirit brought about in your life, that enables you to keep going. Because of that salvation, that compels you to keep going. Because of that salvation that Jesus accomplished, that was made, that made happen, affected, brought about by the Spirit, that compels you and enables you to keep going, not just in a drudgery thing, but what's the last two words? Joyfully. Joyfully. Remember the Christian's response when they suffered for Christ in Acts 5? They counted it, they, they, were, they were joyful that they were counted worthy to suffer for the name of Christ. So Christian, kind of wrap things up here. When the world tempts you and the world pressures you to think that you are missing out. Are you ready for this? When the world tempts you and pressures you to think that you're missing out, what should you do? Agree with them. You weren't expecting that, were you? Agree with them. How so? Agree with them that about what you're missing out on. You're missing out on God's judgment and wrath. Remember, they're trying to tempt you to go that way, the world's way? And you're missing out on that? Yeah, I'm missing out on God's judgment and wrath that that brings. I'm missing out on a wasted life because the world lives for this life and that's it. That's a wasted life. You're missing out on living for dust and rust. That's really all this world is. It's just this dust that makes me sneeze. It's rust that causes things to fall apart. You're missing out on the approval of those who are here today and gone tomorrow. You're missing out on a never-satisfied existence. Always needing more dust and rust. You're missing out on broken relationships. You're missing out on disappointment because you have a living hope from a living Savior. You are missing out on leaving this life worse than when you entered it. 
you are missing out on leaving this life worse than when you entered it. How so? We sang and read Psalm 51.5. Behold, I was shapen in iniquity and sin my mother conceived me. When you entered this world, you entered this world as a guilty and condemned sinner. And in this life, you have the promise of eternal life if you believe. But because you're trusting Christ and you're missing out on all the world stuff, you're missing out on leaving how they leave. They enter this world just like you did. A guilty, condemned sinner with the hope of eternal life if you believe. But they will leave this life eternally, eternally confirmed and condemned sinner with the promise of eternal damnation because they didn't believe in Christ. Christian, God mercifully gave you life. You didn't deserve it. And God powerfully shields, guards, and protects you. Not from the effects of sin in this life. We're going to experience it. But it is a hope that is reserved in heaven for you. Why do you have this living hope? Why should you obey? Why should you live this way? Because you have a living hope from a living Savior. Joyfully continue. And when you start to get down and you start to get depressed and you start to get discouraged, come back to 1 Peter 1, verses 3-5 to because that won't change. This being born again and this eternal inheritance that you have will never, never change. It can never be taken away.